Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, your host and CEO of Bregman Partners. This podcast is part of my mission to help you get massive traction on the things that matter most. We have with us on the podcast, Subhir Shaudhuri. He is a leading management consultant. He's written several books. And the book that we're going to be talking with him about is the one he's written most recently. It's called The Difference When Good Enough Isn't Enough. And uh, Subhir and I know each other uh, uh, from a group that we're in together and the MG100 group. You've heard Marshall Goldsmith on the podcast. Subhir and I are both in the group together. He's a delightful guy. It's always great to interview for the podcast people who you meet who you know live up to their advice, that that they're, you know, that they they preach certain things and that they uh, are also walk the path that they suggest people walk. So, you know, Subir is one of those people. I really enjoyed the book. It's a short little book that um, packs a punch and is fun to uh, to read and and leaves you uh, with a, a real sense of some things that are important that we'll talk about today. So, Subir, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Looking forward to it. So you open the book with a few different stories that seem to point to a common principle, which is that we aren't different people when we walk into the office versus when we're home. That, you know, what we do with a toothpick after we use it is the same as what we do with a quality process organizationally. That how we treat people in the office should not be any different from how we treat them at home or in synagogue or in church or in a mosque. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, explain why it's so important? Yeah, so as you know, and I wanted to a little bit back up, as you know, last 14 books I've written and all the management consulting I've done for last 20 years is in the area of process improvement, right? And I literally saved organization billions of dollars, right? Uh, so, um, and, and, and uh, basically, as you know, the Six Sigma became very popular and I was one of the leading authority on that field. And by doing all this process improvement, what I found out that some companies of, you know, suppose for the sake of discussion, you know, we have two same industry, two similar size clients. And for the sake of discussion, I'm just giving an example of GM and Ford, or maybe in automotive industry, or maybe in Airbus and Boeing in aerospace industry. And suppose both the companies hired me as a consultant and used my processes and, um, and what I found out, one company is getting 10x return, another company is getting 100x return. And I was puzzled by that. You know, I said, you know, what the heck I'm doing? Maybe my process are flawed. So I went, you know, brought all my consultants and, and literally screaming at them saying that maybe our process is flawed. Maybe we are not doing certain things correctly. So then um, after a lot of discussions, my uh, colleague said, no, Shabir, maybe we should, if somebody's getting 100x return, maybe we should study those organizations. So last you know, six, seven years, I've been starting all types of organizations that um, to understand why uh, one is getting 100x return and the companies which are not getting 100x, which is only getting 5x or 10x return. And then what really emerged is nothing to do with process. Nothing to do with process. It's about the people, right? Because so the argument I'm making is if you really wanted to improve quality or if you wanted to improve your organization, you have to think of how is your all the people's mindsets are, 
right? And if they don't have the good mindset, or I call it as a caring mindset, then you may not get the best out of the of that organization, right? So, and then the question comes to, can the caring mindset can be taught? Can can anybody can become demonstrate the caring mindset? And the answer is yes. So ideally, what I try to do with this book is about how to teach common people from a janitor to all the way to the CEO level, and in between any one of them, to truly can practice the caring mindset and develop the caring mindset. And is that, have you reduced it to that uh, distinction of the caring mindset that the difference between, you know, a 10x return on an, on an effective process yes. versus a 100x yes. return is yes. that people care. And if you've right. got an organization so for, of people who care, then right. you're going to maximize the returns. You're absolutely right. So, and the other thing is that what is really even puzzling, like recent incident in Google, you know, you know about the, that Google one in, you know, somebody wrote an email and he got immediately fired and all this stuff. Now, if you truly understand what he wrote on that email, you know, and I'm not suggesting any one of the side I'm not taking, but the question is that some of the issues he raised is a core issue. Like if 90% of the Google employees have, a one party viewpoint, another 10% have another party viewpoint, you cannot left out the other 10%. You can't. You have to have a, have a you know, realistically a good dialogue and having the caring mindset demonstration for both sides. And that's what is missing right now. That, and in fact, America is paying a big price of uh, literally not, we can, you and I may not agree to certain things, but that doesn't mean that um, I, have to be, I have to be hateful to you, right? I have to be, um, you know, not sharing my caring for you. We can have a different viewpoint. That's okay. So let me just, I don't want to necessarily go down this road, but I'll, I'll just right. ask him a follow-up question about it. Because what if the, the, um, that 1% perspective is a non-caring mindset? Meaning, so what if that 1% perspective is, is hate talk or is you know, sort of a destructive uh, voice or, um, you know, the pointing the fingers and the blame and the, and, and, you know, if, if that's that 1% voice, is it still important to have that 1% voice included? And I'm not saying yes or no, I'm yes. just asking you the question. I, th I, th I think we have to include them and maybe over time, the 99% can turn that around, right? That's what the, so, so think about in any organization, so I talked about the caring mindset. The other perspective is a lot of the time, these people, these human beings may not understand, they can develop the caring mindset. They can really do it. A lot of the, see, that is one of the reasons that in the book I talked about, making a difference can be anybody's business, any human being's business, right? You don't need a big financial, you know, back, or you do not need any kind of a societal elite status to make a difference. You know, like Mother Teresa was not a rich, you know, financially rich person, right? When she started, think about it. And then the money poured in and people supported her cause, right? So I think anybody can make a difference. The question is that it is the mindset. So in the, in the book, I define about what is the caring mindset. And I talk about the four elements. And it's very easy to remember. It's called the star. Great. Right? Let's go into each of those. And let's, I have some questions. I, I have a question for each one that's a little deeper, but why don't you give us an sure. overview of the right. four elements of STAR? So, so STAR is basically stand for straightforward, thoughtful, accountable, and resolved. So it's very, very simple, straightforward. 
So straightforward means, you know, you talk from your heart. You just don't do, do, do any politics or any of that and talk from your heart and give your opinion and be respectful to the other person and listen to what the other person is saying. And, and then you still make your point in a straightforward way. Now, if you don't have the straightforward culture in an organization, then what will happen? The Volkswagen type of incident will happen because they are hiding the information. And a lot of the time, I even in the in in straightforward stuff, I talk about the reason people are not straightforward is two reasons. Number one is that they are fearful or afraid, and number two is that a lot of the time they have tremendous amount of ego or pride, right? These are the two things, right? If you can control those two things you can become in a straightforward. So how then, do you, let's talk about that for a second about sure. the fear, right? Because I, most people I know who aren't straightforward, it yes. comes from a lack of courage. It comes from a sense yes. of vulnerability. And sometimes, by the way, that vulnerability is well-placed. I mean, the, the yes. fear is well-placed right. that right. that ultimately they might be punished for being straightforward or saying what right. they think. And, and, and that is the key question that you said that were punished, right? So the question is that, it is the leader's job. When I dealt with Jack Welch, right? If, if, when he asks a question to the, even the lower level in an organization, and if they don't have an answer, they're not afraid to tell him straight. And why is that? Because Jack never punished them, right? He never punished them. He basically, okay, you don't know. Next time I come in, you fix it, figure it out. Two months later or six months later, I'll visit again. I wanted to see this fixed. There's no punishment, right? So I think... That whole culture of the fear and punishment culture is the leader's responsibility, is the top of the house. They are the one who create that culture, right? So unless they demonstrate themselves and make sure that people within the middle management or the next level management, everybody is not punished for their openness, then it will be, then it will, like for an example, in my viewpoint, I think um, in Google, uh, the firing the employee, I, I strongly feel that uh, the Google CEO Sundar Pikai did a mistake. I really feel, felt that. He should not have been and instantly made that decision rather than give him a little bit of a chance, have a dialogue about that, try to find out what really motivated him to write that um, article or whatever, and then dig into a little bit. And But he did it too quickly, too fast, because he thought about that 90% of the employees are alienating, so he doesn't want to go into that problem you know so you cannot avoid that problem like that way rather than you try to discuss and so that that is that's what i think without that problem i think the more problem will come so think about this way what white collar crime in america and organizations cost 300 billion dollar annually by a cornell university study 300 billion dollar white collar crime so now that is kind of sickening. You know, think about that. These are highly educated people are doing white, you know, this crime, right? So unless, and, and why they are doing that? In fact, one of the things, you know, in the story I talked about, a gentleman about um, Nick, you know, he, um, you know, he wants to get, you know, his next level promotion at any cost, any human cost. And ultimately, when he diagnosed with cancer and he only, survive six more months, and that is the six more months he wants to fix himself. And he wants to go to his next level people um, and try to apologize to them, try to earn their forgiveness. It's a very profound story. Think about that, right? So I think, you know, um, you know I, I always discuss about that if the leaders, true leaders come in 
and create a culture based on data, not based on their opinion or their emotion, they can develop a good organization, good cultural organization. And what you're saying, you know, to my question of how do you help people have the courage to speak with, uh, with straightforwardness, your answer in part is, yeah, maybe you can help them have the courage, but really it's the leader's job to yes. create a culture in which yes. every voice is heard um, and important and not punished. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Great. Okay, so straightforward is the S. Let's talk about being thoughtful, the T of STAR. So being thoughtful is basically is about the attentive to the others, uh, considerate, unselfish, helpful. Think about this way, like every single day when I wake up, my number one goal, when I was brushing my teeth, I asked myself, what is the one thing I can do to another human being and give a pleasure? That's it. What is the one thing I can do for another human being to bring a pleasure, right? That's it. So that's what is the thoughtfulness is all about. So, you know, I talked about, you know, a lot of the time, um, you know, especially the internet era with the social media era, even during the lunch break, we are looking at our iPhone and just and checking that out. And even in front of me, maybe 10 other people are sitting and we are not talking to each other. And how to, you know, avoid that, how to take that, you know, put that your device out and to have some dialogue with your colleague, try to look at them. And, and even if you find another colleague is stressed or whatever, try to ask them, try to ask them, hey, what can I do for you, right? So, you know, I talk about to bring a, being a thoughtful is a two-step process. Step number one is listening. I think 99.9% .9 of the people, we, we are very good in hearing, but we are not listening. So what is the difference between hearing and listening? Hearing means, you know, you are talking to me and I'm just hearing, but I'm not internalizing. I'm not understanding what you are saying. Is going in one ear, another ear is passing out. That's it. That is the hearing. Listening means not only I'm hearing what you are saying, I'm having the eye contact, I'm internalizing it, and then I'm putting myself in your shoes. When you do that, that was the time the second step comes in, then the empathy kicks in. So when you are you and I are having if you and I are having not having a dialogue, when you are having an argument, the reason the argument happened is because we are not listening to each other, right? Then the argument comes in. But if we truly listen instead of hearing, argument will not happen. Then we'll empathize. And then once the empathy kicks in, you'll be much more inclining with my viewpoint and I'll be inclining with your viewpoint. And that's what is missing in organizations. The challenge I see most people having around that is how busy we all are. And so yes. th there's a part of us that looks at our iPhones instead of talking to people because we're shy or because we, you know, we're a little uncomfortable. But there's also a part where everyone's working so fast and so hard that to actually listen or to be thoughtful or to do what you suggested, which is to take even a moment to say, what can I do that would express care for somebody else? That is a difficult thing for people to do because they're so overwhelmed with busyness. So, but okay, so, so think about this way, very simple. If you, first of all is the mindset, right? Unless you have the mindset, you cannot do it. So first question yourself is that, am I going to fix myself? Am I going to improve myself? Every day when I wake up, I feel I'm a number one failure in the world, right? So I wanted to say that I have so many flaws and how I can fix my flaws. Every single day, 
I felt that I have lots of flaws and how I can fix myself. As soon as I have that mindset, first thing I do is that, okay, what can I do? So you, you are absolutely right. We are too busy. We are not taking the time. Think about this way. Five minutes, nothing else. Five minutes. You just sit yourself. Either you can meditate or you can walk or you can not looking at the iPhone or whatever and just try to find your own self inside of you, the person you have, and ask that very prof very simplistic question, why I'm here? Why I'm on this earth? Can I make a difference for another human being? What can I do to my next door neighbor? As soon as you have that mindset, then you can make, you can become a thoughtful, right? Then you will be more listening. Then you will create more empathy. Remember that I was, uh, I gave an example about in my, um, I was uh, taking a flight from uh, Los Angeles to Detroit. And, um, you know, normally I get a uh, kind of a, uh, uh, the business class ticket during my business travel, client always pay for it. And so I was sitting in the first class cabin and um, there is an older gentleman came in and sit on the first row of the economy class cabin. And the uh, flight attendant served the drinks on the first class cabin before the flight takes off. And this older gentleman asked a simple glass of water just a glass of water. The uh, flight attendant responded, hey, we don't serve any drink um, to anybody, like in economy class, until the flight takes off. Now, uh, the older gentleman again requested, can I, I'm just, I'm very thirsty. I have to walk so many blocks to come over here. Can I get a glass of water? And she again didn't even respond, right? So guess what happened? And this is a very profound lesson learned for me too, because I was sitting on the window, but like on the aisle seat, but there's another guy is also sitting on the aisle seat. That young man didn't say anything. He went in the you know flight cabin area and then poured a glass of water, gave it served to the older gentleman. And then everybody in the over there kind of clapped. Now, the real question is that I asked myself the question, why I did not act where that other young gentleman acted. And I was continuously puzzled by that. Why not? So a lot of the time we see certain things. If we know that I, you can make a small difference, very small difference, just do it. That is a big lesson learned for me. And later on that I, anytime I see some problem that I can make a difference or I can make some contribution, I try to act on it. So a lot of the time we don't, we are hesitate to take an act on it. You're also saying something that is important and I think profound, which is, you're describing a situation in which someone has privilege and which someone does someone else doesn't have privilege. You have someone who's in first class who has privilege and you have someone who's in economy class who doesn't have that privilege. And that there's a responsibility, especially for those of us who are in positions of rank and privilege Absolutely. to be thoughtful um, about like what's around us, beyond us, like yes, the, the, yes. for people who don't have privilege and do what we can. Uh, yes. That represents care and thoughtfulness. Exactly, you're right. Yes, that is so that is so critical, and we a lot of the time we forget about it. You know, um, and recently, you know, uh, she ultimately apologized. Even the Treasury Secretary's wife, she tweeted something, you know, bragging about her expensive clothes and all this stuff. And then ultimately, Twitter is all over her. Then ultimately, she apologized. Right? But it's shame. You know, you should not act like that. We are very lucky. Every day when I feel 
you know, one point of time, like see, majority of the people in America is self-made, majority of them, right? And and think about it, what point of time we are not in that privileged position. We we work hard and we on the process, we also got lucky, you know? So anyway, so the next point comes to after the thoughtfulness is the accountable, right? So which is much more about taking an action, taking the personal responsibility, right? One of the quote I talk about, Mother Teresa quote, and she used to say, don't wait for leaders, do it alone. Don't wait for leaders, do it alone. And the point she was making is, believe it or not, irrespective of our position, God gave us some kind of inner power to each human being, right? And like, think about, you know, I was uh, listening to a talk by Nelson Mandela, right? Uh, that after living in the, you know, jail for almost 30 years, that when he came out, still he's dreaming to make a difference for his nation, his country. He wants to rebuild. Think about it in 30 years. Somebody took the 30 years of his life and the whole nation took the 30 years of his life. And after he came out, first thing he was thinking about how he can make a difference for his nation. Think about that, right? And, um, and that is the part we have to think about that anytime we see something, how can we take personal responsibility? If we are not making accountable ourselves, anything we see, either at home or in the community or in the workplace, right? If we don't, like whenever I, a lot of the time when I talked with some of the leaders, they said, well, Shabir, you know, that is not my job. I said, why not? Why not? Why you are not raising that issue? Because your paycheck is coming from this organization. And if you don't take that action now, then something, you know, maybe, you know, over time, everybody else who works for you, they are following that you are not a true leader. Then ultimately, they will do the similar thing. And ultimately, you will create a mess without even knowing for it. And then you will call a consultant like me to come in to help you to fix it. So, you know, and, and, and I kind of give some example of a 13-year-old a uh, Chicago girl. Um, her name is Trisha Prabhu. And um, she was one day coming from the school and uh, she read a 11-year-old Florida girl uh, committed uh, suicide uh, because of the cyberbullying. So she, it hit her so much. She thought the whole system, her school system, her parents and her teachers, everybody failed her. So she felt, what can I do? Enough is enough. I'm going to change, change myself. So she take that as a personal responsibility, a 13 year old girl. Then she started digging into the research, how to solve the cyberbullying issue. She came up with an app called Rethink. The app name is called the Rethink. And what that app does is that what she found out, the adolescents, when they write some nasty email or text without even thinking about it. So what she does is that at that time, if you can stop them, so this Rethink app, what they do, if you have that app in your in your uh, phone or, or iPad or anything, then what you do is that as soon as you type a message, nasty message, immediately that Rethink will automatically, artificial intelligence, it will automatically kick in and ask the question, are you sure your message is going to hurt somebody? Are you sure you want to send this message? And guess what happened? 93% of the adolescent decided to stop, not to oh, send. Wow, not to send it. Think about that. Now rethink, rethink. You can check that app. Now the rethink is is adopted by Facebook, I, you know, Google, and everybody's promoting. A 13-year-old girl did that. 
Think about that, right? So if a 13-year-old girl can take the personal personal responsibility and make something and feel herself as an accountable on, on her action and she can make a difference, why not you? Why not all of us, right? And let's talk briefly about having resolve, which is the fourth piece of the STAR model. So, you know, having resolve is all about the having the passion, having determination, having the perseverance. And I talk about always the story about um, when I come, came to the United States um, in 1991 and I was shortage of $200, right? <laughs> because I supposed to give in a, a scholarship and I didn't, um, my professor said, no, he, he will not give it to me. And I got the message after coming to the US on the first day after landing in US and I don't have any money. I have, so I have $200 shortage. I went to a bank, bank rejected $200. So I cannot even register. So what I've done, I went to, so all of my, um, you know, other people I met, you know, uh, Indians, Bangladesh, all these different people we met, they said, Shubir, don't worry about it. You can work illegally. I said, nope, I'm not going to do that. So guess what I did? I personally felt that I need to resolve. I have the resolve that I came to America. I had a big dream to make a difference in America. This cannot be the country. One person denied me doesn't mean that America is bad. So I did not believe in that system. I believe in the American, true American system. So guess what I did? Next two weeks, I went to every single department. 23 department, 22 department rejected me. 23rd department opened the door for me. And the rest is history. I, I literally got the complete fellowship from Dow Chemical and that paid for my graduate degree. Think about that. Coming to America for the first time with the culture shock, everything, no family member, nobody, right? And the first person from the first generation coming in from both my parents' side. And I went to the 22, knocking 22 doors and the 23rd door opened. And you right? hear and you hear those stories, you know, you hear about, uh, you know, Harry Potter being given Rejected, to, right. you know, yes. 25, 26 publishers before it was accepted. And, and uh, you know, and, and in order to have that resolve, you have to have, uh, you know, the belief in yourself and you have yes. to have, you know, and, and in some ways you have to, the, 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 these, these pieces of the model fit together, being straightforward, being thoughtful, being accountable, having resolved the, the example you gave about being thoughtful um, and, and having the, the man in first class bring water to the older man in, in economy, that required thoughtfulness, it required accountability, it required some yes. element of resolve, it requires yes. all of them. And, and these are the four things that seem to make the difference. You've reduced it to these four things, straightforward, yes. thoughtful, accountable, and, 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 and having resolve, that, um, that makes the difference between you know, taking a process that you have in an organization that's perfectly fine and having it have a 10 times impact versus a 100 times impact. The, exactly those are right. the five, yes. th they're the four things that really represent the kind of caring that you're talking about. Right. So ideally, you know, if you ask me the question that, you know, Shubir, why the hell you didn't do this, you know, 20 years ago? I'm very honest. With you. I, I wish my first book is on, the, on this area because then I should have been delivered better results in the process improvement. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? I think it's great. I think and it's great. that's what I'm trying to do now, you know, so. Thank you. We're with Subir Saudhuri. The book is The Difference When Good Enough Isn't Enough. Subir, it's such a delight to have you on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you for coming on. Th thank you so much for featuring me.
If you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Bregman Leadership Intensive, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit peterbregman.com. Thank you to Claire Marshall for producing this episode and to Brian Wood, who created our music. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next great conversation.